right. Thank you all for everybody who participated this morning. Appreciate, again, Justin being here and, and uh, coming over and hanging with us. And uh, for everyone who helped in, in whatever regard, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful day. It's, it's kind of a... The, the rain does that to you. You know, when I when I did mission work in England, it, it was this every single day, <laughs> northern England. So so if there's a there's a blessing right northern the northern land right, but uh, there's a blessing for for when I see this weather, it's a reminder that we don't have it all the time. <laughs> that's that's exactly how my mind works because when I lived in England, I think I saw the sun six days, you know, for uh, fifteen months. That's kind of not fun. So anyway, turn to Matthew five, Matthew chapter five. That is where we are. There's a, a ten-year, ten-year-old little girl, and she is gaining in knowledge. Her grandmother is teaching her about the Bible, and so she's she's just aware of things as, as things are taking place. And so uh, they go to church on Sunday, and they live not very far away from the church building. So she's walking with her grandmother, and uh, as they're kind of swinging their hands and walking, the little girl says, "Which virgin was the mother of Jesus?" And the grandmother goes, which virgin? She said, yeah, was it, was it the Virgin Mary or the King James Virgin? And so sometimes we, uh, we mistake words, don't we? We don't get words right. Sometimes we don't understand what those words mean. So um, we are in a, a three, we're in lesson three of a, a, a seven lesson series on the Beatitudes We've talked about this word makarios, uh, right? The blessed word, the word about happiness and, and joy, the supreme happiness. Again, we go to the big old burrito. And if you weren't here and need to know what that reference is, you can ask me afterward. But it is a, it is a, a bigger, a greater, a more uh, joyous type of happiness that only comes from God. And so that's what this word makarios means. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, this is the Revised Standard Virgin Version. Uh, you got to get that right, right? This is the Revised Standard Version. Seeing the crowds, he, being Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, as Americans, when we see the word meek, we don't think the exact Greek word meaning, because most people don't know what that is. I mean, I know Lisa did, because Lisa and I were talking about this. You know, I I, I have been blessed uh, in that, you know, Lisa and I get to spend a little time together on Wednesday. She comes up to prepare a meal, and we get to talk, and... She's a good sounding board. She lets me, you know, I'm like, oh, I just got to talk about this out loud because that's, that's how I think is speaking out loud. And so I, I use people when they come up here. If you ever come up here and visit, you're probably going to hear part of my sermon because I'm going to be like, hey, what do you think about this? And we'll, we'll talk it over. But this word meek in the American culture gives us the idea. I, I, I guess when I think of the word meek, I think of Don Knotts. You know, I think of Barney Fife. When you, when you think of that kind of guy, you know, who framed, who framed uh, was it Mr. Fig? Is that one of those uh, movies that he made? You know, he's that kind of, you know, shaking, kind of nervous guy. But that's, it, it's really not what this word means. It's, it's the exact opposite, okay? Meekness represents strength under control. 
It's a, it's a cool word. It really is. It's, I know we had lunch that one time, and, and Justin and I were talking about that. He goes, you know, sometimes you, you get into the church life, and you think, do I just have to be wimpy? Right? I mean, I want to be, be a man. I want to I do what I need to do. I want to be powerful, and yet I, I, I want to be under the, uh, the representation of God and, and the power of the Spirit. And, and that's what meekness is. It's being powerful, but understanding that underneath that, I need to be in control. I guess for me, I think of Clark Kent. Clark Kent was that guy that, you know, he had the kind of the big thick glasses. And, he, and, and when, when trouble came, you know, he always stayed away from her. He, he made a point of, oh, well, I got to go kind of thing. And everybody thought, well, he's weak and, and he's spineless and he lacks courage. But, you know, when he, when he, when he pulled, a, pulled a course, uh, opened, up his, opened up his shirt, there was the Superman, right? And Cam Newton and others have tried to say, I'm, I'm Superman, you know, when they score a touchdown or whatever, which they missed the point. But that's the, the best illustration for me, I guess, when it comes to, to a character. But even that's not right because the motivation's not the same. The motivation's not the same. Meekness is an interesting word. The Greek talks about this idea of bridling a horse or taming an animal. And I don't know if you've thought about that. If, if you've ever been a person that likes to ride horses, somebody trained that horse. You've got 2,000 pounds of animal you know, underneath you and you can guide that horse and you can give it the right commands and that horse is under control. Is that horse stronger and bigger and more powerful than you? Absolutely. But it took somebody to train them to, to get the best out of them. One man wrote this, meekness was the attribute of a horse that was well-trained, obedient, and disciplined. Its strength hadn't been reduced, but it was rather enhanced, channeled in a useful direction as a result of discipline as, a, as applied by its trainer. See, and I, I see that as the Holy Spirit taking our lives and channeling the power that we already have. That power is not a physical power. It's a spiritual power because we get to choose. That's the blessing of Christianity. We get to choose. We choose if we want to be here today. We choose if we want to follow God. We choose if we want to do right. We choose if we want to love God. We choose if we want to love others. It's our choice. And that is power. That is power. We have the, we have the power to tell God no. Now, there's consequences for that power, right? There's consequences for that power. But the reality is we can tell God no. We can tell God, no, I'm not interested. And God respects that. God doesn't like that because God loves us and wants the best for us. But that's power. So we have control, all right? We have control. One author wrote this about meekness. The humble and gentle attitude expresses itself in a patient submissiveness free from malice and desire for revenge. Another wrote, meekness is a gentle and controlled strength which holds natural impulses in check. Ready to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting, it's the opposite of self-assertiveness. It's the opposite of self-seeking. So the power, the choices that we have, I can choose to do the wrong thing and yet I hold that power into control and I allow the Holy Spirit to train me and to guide me and to discipline me in my life so that I make better choices and I make better decisions and I allow the Spirit to lead me. The problem is most of us would rather be in the driver's seat, right? We would rather be the one driving the bus. We'd rather be the one pushing our life in the direction that we want. And we oftentimes forget that's the Holy Spirit's job. 
That's God's job. That's the scripture's job. And so we see that often. You know, there's a bumper sticker that used to be around. I haven't seen one in a while, but I saw a piece of one here not very long ago. And it reminded me that it was like, oh, I remember when everybody had that. Jesus is my co-pilot. You remember that? And I remember thinking, that's a cool bumper sticker. And then I thought, that's not right. Co-pilot, right? He should be your pilot. He's a, get out of the, you get out of the, you're the co-pilot. You're, you're the one hanging out with him. Let him lead you. Let him drive you where you need to be going. Carrie Underwood sings a song, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it out of my hand, right? Put it in your hands. You take it and you guide me and you drive me where I need to go. This beatitude tells us we need to scoot over and allow God to take the power of choice and the power of decision and turn it into his power and his choice. Let him lead us and guide us. Be tools in the hand of righteousness, not tools in the hand of Satan. You know, sometimes it's, it's difficult to find a story about meekness or humbleness. Nobody wants to write them, right? Because you're like, oh, here, let me tell you how humble I am. You know, kind of like the, the jokingly way I did with the kids' lesson last week. Hey, I am so humble. Let me tell you how humble I am. You know, I'm so meek. I'm, I'm so meek. Let me tell you how meek I am. So, but there is, there's some pretty neat stories. Booker T. Washington, you know, we have a school named after Booker T. Washington. He was a renowned black educator, president of the Tuskegee, Alabama Institute. Very powerful man, very humble, very meek, incredible individual, unbelievable character. He's walking through, of course, this is an older story. You know, a a lot of folks just every day wore a suit and tie, three-piece suit and tie to work. Even some common laborers that worked on the street would wear those kinds of clothes. And so Booker T. Washington is walking through a, a rather affluent neighborhood, and a lady sees him walking by and says, hey, 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 hey. Would you be willing to do some work for me? I'll pay you. I need you to chop some wood. And Booker T. Washington's like, okay. You know, he's on his way to, you know, go run an institute of higher education, you know, professor and doctorate and all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Takes his coat off, rolls his sleeves up and goes out and chops wood for this lady. And, and he works half the afternoon for her. And she says, well, I need you to stack some in the house. And so he goes in and he stacks in the house. While he's in the house, one of the servants, little girls, sees him and recognizes him, knows who he is. And so after he leaves, she pays him. He leaves. And the little girl goes, you know, that's Booker T. Washington, the president of the university down the street. And she's like, oh, you know, she gets embarrassed. So she goes to visit Booker T. Washington the next day and apologizes profusely. She's like, I am so sorry. And he says, oh, don't worry about it. His exact words, it's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. You know, that's a meek attitude. He could have, he could have said originally, no, I'm not interested, or you know who I am, and those kinds of things. But instead, he was a servant. But that was who he was. Now, what's interesting was she did become a friend and and she got with some of her wealthy counterparts and they ended up donating thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to Booker T. Washington, Tuskegee Institute for what they were trying to accomplish. See, what Booker T. Washington understood was that, hey, you know what? It's okay to be humble. It's okay to be a servant. It's okay to love on people. You know, it's not all about who I am. It's about who... I serve as a Christian man and as a Christian woman. There are some pretty amazing examples of meekness in Scripture. Numbers chapter 12 verse 3 is an interesting verse because it says there that Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. He was the meekest man on earth. 
When I think of Moses, I think of, of a young Moses who sees an Egyptian hurting and abusing an Israelite and kills him and buries him in the sand. I mean, he had a lot of power. You know, you got to remember Moses is kind of like, you know, the Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, son. So he's, he's, he's right there. Grandpa is, is in charge of the entire country. He's, he's got a lot of power. This is the Moses, right? This is the Moses who leads the people of Israel into the promised land. This is the Moses who, who, who has to go to battle it in so many different cases. Has to deal with the grumbling and the, and the griping and the complaining and all of the things that took place. And, you know, it, it makes you wonder if because he was so meek and because he was so humble, because this power is under control, he was led by God. And the one time that he kind of shows, you know, a lack of humbleness, a lack of understanding, he's arrogant. Remember, you remember it involved bringing water from the rock. And he says, I did this for you. I took care of this for you. Hey, I'm the one instead of giving that credit to God. And because of that, he didn't get to enter into the promised land. Now, we know he's a great man of faith and we know that he's, 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 he's there with God. God didn't say, well, you're not going to be with me for eternity. But he did punish him for his lack of meekness, for not giving credit where credit was due. I think of somebody else. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. We know this verse more so for the first part. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. But here's what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle. That's the Greek word for meek. I am meek. And I'm humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. You know, it goes right back to this this sermon, the Beatitudes, right? The one before this, blessed are those who mourn and they'll find comfort. Blessed are those who are gentle and meek and humble in heart, and you'll find rest. You're going to find that same comfort in Him. Because it helps us when we're wrestling with certain things to simply say, I don't have to wrestle with that any longer. You know, I don't have to to fight against my own self, because if I just will simply give that to God, I'm going to find a lot of rest, and I'm going to find a lot of peace. And I think that's what He is saying here. Jesus was not weak. You know, we, we, we equate the word meekness with weakness, but Jesus was certainly not a weak man. Number one, physically, he would have been a strong man being a carpenter. He was a, he was a man's man. He had, to, he had to do a lot of work. You know, they didn't just go down to Lowe's and go buy the wood. They, they usually went and chopped their own wood. And they would bring those big stumps of wood. And he would make things, you know, like, which is kind of cool when going back to this verse, you know, take my yoke upon you. He made yokes. As a carpenter, that was one of his number one jobs was he would he would build these yokes for the oxen and for um, the, the animals that did the work. And so he was very well aware of what it meant to take the burden away from someone by, by putting a yoke that fit well, that 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 would help the animal do its job. In this case, for us, help us to, to follow God. He's going to make it easier for us to do that. He could have called 10,000 angels. I love that song, right? We sing that song all the time. He could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't need 10,000 angels. Number one, he didn't need any angels. But if he chose, he could have just picked one angel. I mean, I love the story. I don't know if you remember. Because I'm I'm going to talk about the book of Nehemiah here in just a second in in one of the scriptures that we're going to read. You know, Hezekiah was a a really amazing king. And and during the reign of Hezekiah, you remember a guy named Sennacherib? He was the, the king of the Assyrians. And he bragged about his army and the power of his army and the power of his, his abilities as king and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was Isaiah who actually wrote to Hezekiah and said, don't fear, 
right? Don't worry because the Lord's going to take care of you. And that night, an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, killed 185,000 Assyrians. One. (laughs) He didn't have to call 10,000 angels. Just one came and took care of that. Jesus didn't need an angel, but, but, but here's the point. That was not the power that was under control because he was meek. Because he had the power to call an angel or 10,000 angels or to take care of it himself, he chose not to. What did he choose to do? He chose to pray a prayer that said, Lord, your will be done. I will succumb. I'll die on that cross. I'll be that perfect sacrifice. And so he, he took care of that for us. But he didn't have to. He had the power to do what he wanted to do. He had the power to take care of his own business if he so chose to do so. But he didn't because he had power under control. And his power was meekness and humility that God's will be done. That's the same power we need to tap into. When we, when we struggle with sin, when we struggle with a decision, we need to be meek enough to say, God, I know I have the power to, to go any direction I want, but I want to go your direction. I want to go the best direction for my life based on giving you the glory and giving you the honor in everything that I do. And I think that's so very important. Look at what Paul says when he talks about Jesus' gentleness. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. He references this as he's talking to these Corinthians about some power struggles, some issues of arrogance. Verse 1 and 2, by the humility... And the gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when I'm face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. Now, was Paul a meek, weak guy? <laughs> That's not the guy I envision. I see, I see Paul as Saul. He was a warrior for God. He was, he was going to take care of this business, right? And, and be the example that he needed to be for all the other Jews. And yet God called him and calmed him. And, and took that power and, and redirected it and channeled it and disciplined him and, and showed him, hey, you can have all this power and this passion and all of this excitement for the Lord, but I want you to channel it in the right direction. I need you to be meek and gentle like my son. I beg you, verse 2 says, that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward people who think that we live by the standards of this world. He goes on to say that we don't wage war like the world wages war. We don't use the same abilities and talents that the world uses. We don't use the same weapons that the world uses to wage war. One of the weapons we use is meekness and humbleness and gentleness and self-control. Those things are what we fight with because it's the importance of living and thinking and behaving like godly people do. Like God. That's what it means to have His very character. But there were some in Corinth who wanted to be in charge, kind of like today. And just like some in the Old Testament. And that's where I want to go to this book of Nehemiah. You know, it was written to the tribe of Judah and the surrounding nations. If you'll remember, as I talked about Hezekiah, he was a good king. He was a humble king. He was a loving king. And he walked in the ways of God. He did what was expected of him. And he honored God and listened to him. But Hezekiah's son Manasseh was the polar opposite. I mean, if you, could, if you could go as far left as left could be and as far right as right can be, that was Hezekiah and Manasseh. Manasseh and Amon were both horrible, horrible kings. Manasseh didn't follow in his father's footsteps. He didn't follow in God's footsteps. In fact, Manasseh made altars to all the gods of all the other neighboring nations. He found ways to make altars 
He found ways to dishonor God. Manasseh actually brought back child sacrifice. He even sacrificed two of his own children at the altar um, of another God. As the Bible says, Manasseh did evil in the sight of God. So God uses Nehemiah to judge the nations. In Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. And then God judges all these other nations in those verses. And then starting in verse 11, he reminds Jerusalem, I'll judge you as well. So starting in verse 11 of Nehemiah chapter 3, notice what he says, says to them. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you've done to me. Because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. This is God talking to them in judgment, saying, you know what? I'm going to get rid of all the arrogant. I'm going to take care of that. You won't have to worry about being judged because I'm going to get rid of all those folks. Never again will you be haughty. It's not going to be about me on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and the humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. That's what it means to be meek. It means that we will receive what was promised right as he says blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the land it says the earth but we're going to use the word land because i think it better portrays what is being said so meekness is trusting god meekness is believing god meekness is saying hey whatever you want god i'm gonna walk in those steps that's an important concept within scripture god wants to rebuild his people i love how in the old testament he wants to rebuild his temple but in this new covenant he wants to rebuild his temple as well have you ever thought about that that we're the temple of the holy spirit that we're the new temple that this is where god resides and god is constantly talking about rebuilding us to have his heart to have his character to have his characteristics that that is part of the real rebuilding of the temple max lucado wrote In regards to these first three Beatitudes, he said the first step is to ask for help. Blessed are the poor in spirit. To become poor in spirit and admit that we need a Savior. The next step is sorrow. Blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn are those who know they are wrong and say they're sorry. No excuses. No justification. Just tears. I am wrong. The next step is one of renewal. Blessed are the meek. We need to realize the source of strength is God. When we become meek, we give our lives to God to be his tool. We place our lives into his hands. Period. End of quotations. I've mentioned already that that I believe the Sermon on the Mount was, was partially an answer to these folks who said, Okay, you keep talking about the kingdom. What's in it for us? Who are the citizens of the kingdom? What do they look like? What do they act like? But what do they get? Right? They want to know. That's that's a fair question. That's a fair question. Colby and I were in Bass Pro yesterday, and you know, you have those you have those guys that are sitting there, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here, I want to give you something. You know, and I just go, not interested. The guy goes, You don't even know what I offered you yet. I said, What you have to offer is nothing I want. And the guy's like, Man, and I go, and he goes, Oh no, 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 this is different. And I went, No, it's not. It's not different. You're not here to give me anything. You don't want to give me anything. 
what you want to do is trap me into believing that you want to give me something. And, and, I, and that's not going to happen. And I told Kobe, and I said, and, I, and Kobe started to lean toward him. I went, walk away. And the guy just gave me this look, and I went, no, walk away. And there's a couple other people, and I was like, walk away. <laughs> you know? And they're, they're like, the guy was just like, man. But, you know, he was a sales guy, so he was, all, he was all fired up. He didn't care. He just grabbed the next person and snagged them, right? There's, there's nothing free. We get that part. See, that's what's, what's amazing about the offer of, of God. Again, it's, it's not the desire, right? It's not what you go for. It's not the goal. It's the result of seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. What's in it for me? The better use of the word in the Greek is the land, right? The land. That was the big promise, that you were going to have the land. If you want to know why half the wars are going on and, and the way that the fighting is taking place over in Israel and, and in those countries around it, it's because of the land, right? They want the land. It's the land. It's the land. And so he says to us in this passage of Scripture, he says, Blessed are the meek, for you will inherit the land. Those people, that resonated with them, Okay. Unfortunately for them, they didn't understand. He wasn't talking about the physical stuff because they had this misconception about what the kingdom was and about what the land was. Blessed are are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's just the kingdom. He goes over and over and over again about this kingdom. But again, it's a spiritual kingdom, although it has its roots in this earth. But the true spiritual kingdom comes later. Do you know the most common context in which the meek are mentioned throughout Scripture? Every time you, you, know, you can go and you can look the word up, and then you can say, okay, where is it in Scripture? The, the most common context, 85, 90% of the time that meekness is mentioned, it is those are being, the, the, the meek are being vindicated or rewarded. In almost every verse, it's, it's about, hey, I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to reward you. Turn to Psalm 25, 9 through 13. Psalm 25, 9 through 13. We have a couple, two or three passages really quickly. We'll just read them through. And we'll, we'll, we'll see where God is saying to not only the Israelites, but to his chosen people, which in the Old Testament is the Israelites, but in the New Testament, it's us. And I love that part. Verse 9, chapter uh, 25, Psalms should be on the, on the, on the uh, over, overhead can't even think screen thank you i'll say the right word he guides the humble god guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way all the ways of the lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant for the sake of your name lord forgive my iniquity though it is great who then are those who fear the lord he will instruct them in the way he chooses they will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land okay Who? The humble and the meek. Look at Psalm chapter 37, verses 5 through 11. Hunter did a great job reading that for us just a moment ago. Most of your commentaries, most of your experts will tell you that Jesus is quoting from Psalm 37 when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. All right? Look what he says. Commit your way to the Lord. I mean, all of this, you could preach 10 lessons just from this chapter alone. But right here in these verses 5 through 11, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this, colon. I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Be still before the Lord and patiently 
Wait for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger. Turn from wrath. Don't fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, and those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Those are the promises that are given to the Israelites. Those are promises that were given to people of faith. And we're going to get to this next part in just a second, but I want to read Zephaniah 2.3 real quickly. It's another passage about God's judgment on Judah. Look what he says here. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You do what he commands. You who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. It's about judgment and and those who are going to be free from that judgment. What I think is interesting is he's trying to help, Jesus is trying to help his listeners understand these promises about Abraham. Kelly, I haven't got to be in your class for all. You you guys haven't got to chapter 12. I I can't imagine you're in chapter 12. All right. I mean, did you get past chapter 3 yet? Are y'all in? There we go. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting is there's so much in the New Testament about these, these promises to Abraham. I mean, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. It's just among many other places to read about these promises. But if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. You're going to receive the promises that were given to Abraham. And you say, well, wait a minute, Mike, you, you don't know, you know, my last name is not Stein, right? I'm not a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, because that's not who the promises were made to. The promises that were made to Abraham were made to, to those who were faithful. We're, we're sons of Abraham. We're the descendants of Abraham. We're sons and daughters of Abraham. And we're descendants of him because he was a man who had faith. Go read Romans chapter 4 or go read Galatians chapter 4. He leads into that with this this verse here in Galatians chapter 3. And he talks about inheriting the land. And he talks about inheriting the blessings of Abraham. That you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Right? That's us because we believe. It's all about faith. It's about trusting in God. He even says in in Romans 4 and and in Galatians uh, 4 as well, hey, about 430 years before the law ever showed up, there were promises made to Abraham. And Abraham's descendant, not not multiple, but one descendant. And it's not Isaac. He's talking about Jesus. Okay? We have faith in Christ. And because of that faith in him, we become heirs Uh, to the same promise that was promised to Abraham. And so we receive the land, right? As, As heirs, Abraham's heirs, it's a spiritual blessing. And the church, the kingdom, the basileia of Christ, the church, right? The ecclesia, the called out, the gathering, the assembly of God's people is here on this earth. And so this is the land that we're inheriting. This is part of the promise that was promised to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. I love how when he talks about restoring this physical Israel, people get all excited. But he's not, he's not talking about the physical Israel in the land. He's talking about the spiritual side of it. And, and that the kingdom is going to be really important for us to understand. In the Sermon on the Mount, you know, uh, pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, there's some blessings here on this earth. That's the land. And he says, you know what? Those who are going to inherit that are going to be part of that kingdom are those who are meek because they're going to allow the Spirit to lead them and they're going to understand the promises that come from those who seek first His kingdom and His righteousness because all this other stuff is going to be given to us as well. I mean, that's such an powerful, important verse. Remember, real happiness, real makarios is a result. It's not a goal. When we seek happiness, we won't find what we're looking for. But when we seek God and we seek righteousness, we'll receive everything He's promised. I think that's an incredible, incredible promise that was also promised to Abraham however many thousand years ago. To me, that's powerful and that's good. So, to be meek, let's be tools in the hands of God. He will give us great blessings by listening to Him and following as He leads us.